When I was in seminary, I was in theology classes, and every once in a while there'd be a quote that would show up from this guy named Miroslav Volf. That was really good. Miroslav Volf. I hear a couple of, there's Miroslav Volf. I don't really know anything about him. Then occasionally in the last 10 years or so, I'd read a book and there'd be this quote by Miroslav Volf. Well, this week, I saw on a, a podcast that I once in a while will check in on that Miroslav Wolf was being interviewed. So I decided, okay, I'm going I'm to listen. And he, he talked about his life story. Miroslav Wolf is from Croatia. He's a theologian now. He's, he's, he's taught at uh, Fuller Seminary. He teaches at Yale. Um, his, his dad actually came to faith in a concentration camp. So it was under Soviet Union. He was in a concentration camp. He was starving to death. I mean, that sounds like the place where you lose your faith in God. But somehow he went in not believing in God and came out believing in God. Anyway, there's a lot of interesting things about Miroslav Volf, but at the end, kind of not really having anything to do with the interview, he just sort of interjected some thoughts that like hit me hard. And so I re-listened a few times and typed them out the best I could. And he said this, and I really wanted to do it in the Croatian accent because I find that when I hear someone talking about God in a different accent, it just feels like it's really from God. You know, but if I did a Croatian accent, it would probably slip into a little bit Australian and, you know, anyway, it would turn into a mockery. But I mean, it, when he says it, it's so much better than me. Anyway, here we go. He said, I have come to believe that Jesus as we have him portrayed to us in the Gospels, has become a moral stranger to us, that we don't know what to do with him, like he belongs to some other planet, some other world in which we are not. Everything that mattered to him seems not to matter to us, and everything that matters to us as a culture seems not to have been important to him. We can go down the list of things from nation to wealth to family to looks, Think about what we do in terms of looks, aesthetics of our own body. We spend an inordinate amount of time attending to the way we look. Yet we have zero information about how Jesus looked. There was zero interest in his outward appearance. Now, there are a lot of things I thought about coming off of that quote. Um, just, it, yeah. Yeah. When I think about how Jesus talked about possessions and what he really did around possessions, how he lived with possessions, and how I think about possessions and live with possessions, wow, those things are not very close together. And I'm thinking about how so many of us in our country say we're Christians, which means we follow Jesus, and yet this really rings true to me. Like A lot of what Jesus is like is totally different than how I live. Totally different. But for our purposes today, it's just sort of this end talking about the outward appearance and how Jesus didn't really pay attention to outward appearance. And it reminds me of a story from the Old Testament when the prophet Samuel is told by God, go to Jesse's family because one of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king of Israel and I want you to anoint him. And so Jesse brings out his sons and the first son comes out and when Samuel sees him, he's like, this guy looks like a king. Like, I would follow him, the nation will follow him, he's got to be the one. And God says, no, he's not the one. Well, then he brings out the next one. Well, this guy's got to, no, that's not the one. Brother after brother until... They've gone through all the brothers that are there. They've got to go out to the shepherd fields to get the little guy who's David who becomes the king. And in that, 
God says to Samuel, man, human beings look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And the heart, biblically speaking, is the center of who a person is. It's not just like an aspect of their personality, not just some part of them. The heart is the center of who they are. It's what defines and what directs a person. It's, it's, what, um, it's what drives what we do. It is who we are. It's, it's the organizing principle of who we are. So, what is Jesus' heart like? What is Jesus' heart like? In 89, so there's four accounts in our Bibles of Jesus. When you add up all the chapters of those four accounts, there's 89 chapters. In 89 chapters about Jesus, he only talks about his own heart one time. In Matthew 11, verse 29, he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. I am gentle and humble in heart. He is kind, he is accessible. He comes down to where we are. He says, come to me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. He says, learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. Now, for us, that's very different than what we have a lot coming in and around us. We have a lot coming in and around us that's not gentle and humble in heart. This all comes from a book called Gentle and Lowly, which we're kind of using, uh, and you could follow along if you want. We've got, I guess, about 30-some have got copies. We've got five more copies out there if you want one of these. Um, but the pastor who, who recommended this book to me said that when he talked to leaders in his church about this idea, about how Jesus, at the core, is gentle and humble in heart, the feedback he got, the response he got, wasn't a lot of resonance. I mean, this is a number of months ago, but that's not where they were at. That's not what they wanted to emphasize. That's what Jesus, that's who he is. That's what he emphasizes. And so what we're doing is, we may refer to some things in the chapters, but really at the beginning of each chapter is a verse or part of a verse. And that's what the teachers through this series, through this fall, are going to use. They're just going to pick one of these two verses, or maybe both, and just meditate, reflect, what does this say about Jesus' heart? Building on what we know for sure that's true about his heart, he is gentle and humble in heart. So today's verse is Matthew 14, verse 14. Jesus, well, let me open it up here. Okay. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. When Jesus landed, he was coming on a boat, and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Here's the, here's the context. The context is, at least how Matthew describes it, because this story shows up in all four accounts of Jesus' life, and they have little different angles that they give on it. But the context in Matthew's story is that he just found out his friend, his cousin, John, we know him as John the Baptist, has just been executed by King Herod. Now, John was the one guy that got Jesus. Right? He's the one guy that would say, hey, 
He was preparing everybody for him, and when Jesus showed up, he said, this is it. This is the one. You should follow him. He, He saw that he was from God before anyone else saw he was from God. This is the one guy, and now he is dead. He's been executed. And Jesus, in his humanity, says, hey, fellas, let's go to our own spot. Let's withdraw. Let's get together. According to the other accounts, if you add it all together, those guys, the disciples, they just got back. They just got back from doing ministry stuff, and they have poured themselves out, and he's like, we need some rest. And, and there's so much coming and going that they don't even have time to eat. And so he's saying, like, we need a little, little time, a little spot. And so they're going on a boat. They're going to a spot so they can rest, so they can reflect, so they can process what's going on. And they get there, and people have figured out where they went, and crowds are coming. And when he saw, sees them, he has compassion on them. And he says, cancel the getaway. I can't do the getaway because these people. He has compassion on them. Now, what's the word compassion? According to this book, Dane Ortland says, the Greek word for compassion refers most literally to the bowels or the guts of a person. It's an ancient way of referring to what rises up from one's inter- innermost being, innermost core. This compassion reflects the deepest heart of Christ. So, when the crowd showed up, it's not that Jesus was just saying like, oh, yeah, I'm the son of God, I feel obligated, this is probably what I should do, I should, you know, I, I should really do this for these people, it's kind of my thing, or I'm the firstborn, you know, the firstborn just does what is expected of them, and these people expect me to, that's not it. It comes from here. It comes from here. Oh, I'm not going to just leave these people this way. And so he heals them. Now, the this, that quote I just read is from the Greek word compassion that we get in our New Testament. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And so there's a different word for compassion. And this is where that word, so two years ago, we did a sermon series on about two verses from the Old Testament. It's from Exodus 34, verse 6, where Moses says to God, show me your glory, and God passes by Moses, and then he describes himself to Moses. He describes, this is my character, this is what I'm like, this is who I am. And it says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, showing love to thousands. That's what he says as he goes by him. It's the most quoted verse in the Bible by other parts of the Bible. Other parts of the Bible keep coming back to this idea because this is who God is. This is who God says he is. And the first thing he says about himself is he's compassionate. That's the first thing. Now, the Hebrew word is related to the womb. How does a mother feel about her baby? What emotions are there in a mother for her baby? That gives the picture of compassion. It's a feeling word. Compassion is a feeling word. This is how they feel about the situation, this person. This, it's a feeling word. Now, the words are paired together in that. Compassionate and gracious. Gracious doesn't sound like an action word to me in our language, but the Hebrew word for gracious was action. So compassionate is a feeling word. Gracious is an action word. It's 
one of the ways it was most used and, and applied was to say, we're canceling this debt. You owe this much money? No, I'm taking action. You don't owe that money anymore. There is a clear action. There's a clear result. And so those two things go together. This is how God feels. He's compassionate. And this is what he does from that. He's gracious. Compassionate and gracious. Now, going back to Luke 14, 14, Jesus saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. He had this feeling coming from deep within. And so he healed them. That was the action. In the Bible, often, that's what you get, is that he sees people, he has compassion, and when they use the word compassion, then he heals and he delivers. Now, if you can bring that next, when Jesus saw them, he had compassion on them, so he, this is what's going on all the time in our accounts of Jesus. He has compassion and then he does an action, but it's different actions. So Matthew says he had compassion on these crowds, he saw them, and then he healed them. He started healing people. In Mark, it says Jesus, when he saw the crowds, they were helpless and harassed like a sheep without a shepherd. So he had compassion on them, so he taught them. He taught them. Why did he teach them? Well, they're getting all sorts of messages from the world. They're getting all sorts of messages from their authority figures that aren't right, that have them beat down, that have them doing the wrong things. And so he knows they need someone who could just say, this is what God's really like. This is what we're really supposed to do in life. And so he teaches them. Now in Luke, it says he teaches and he heals them. So he probably did both, right? And then in John, it doesn't really get into all that, but he feeds them. Out of compassion, he feeds all these people that are hungry. Jesus' action was driven out of this compassion that came from the core of who he was. If we want to know his heart, his heart is, is moved with compassion. And there is power in his ministry when the compassion is stirred up. That's, that's who he is. One of my favorite books of all time, still. It's a little over 10 years old now, I think. It's called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller. So Donald Miller grew up in a very fundamentalist, rigid, religious Christian home. Kind of rebelled from that as he went out into college. And then he became a writer and he was trying to sort out, what do I really think about the Christian faith? What do I really think? So he wrote this book called Blue Like Jazz, and it became a bestseller. And Christians and non-Christians alike gave it good accolades. So a couple, after years of that being a bestseller, a couple of independent film, low-budget low film guys approached him and said, we'd like to take your, your book, which is about your life, and we'd like to make a movie about it. So a movie loosely based on your life. We're going to take a lot of liberties, but just some of the impulses from that book. So we'd like you to help us do that. We'd like you to give us permission, and we'd like you to help us do that. So this book is his kind of reflection, his story, telling the story of what that was like. To have someone say they're going to come make a movie based on you. And say like, well, that, now that part's boring. We don't want that. I mean, what would it be like if someone came and said, yeah, we want to make a movie about you. We, we like this. Yeah, no. No, not that. And what he, he did while he was there is he studied, he even took a class, what makes a good movie? What is it that makes a good movie? And this book is about what makes a good movie is also what makes a good life. 
It's very, it's, it's entertaining, it's interesting. Anyway, I re- reread a couple chapters of it just to make sure I was getting it right, and I still like it. It's, it's good. But here's what, here's what happened. One time they're in a session, and he says, you know what? I think at this part in the movie, Don, that's how they, that's how they he's Donald Miller, but they called him Don, and the, Don's really angry. And so the movie guy's are like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So what are we going to do to show that he's really angry? What are we? He's like, what do you mean? We just need to let people know that he's angry. Well, he's got to do something to show people that he's angry. See, Donald Miller's used to writing a book, so if somebody's really angry, he can just write. When they said that, he became furious. You know, but you can't do that in a movie. And so what he learned, a principle about movie making, he learned is that what a character does is who the character is to the movie watchers. They only get it out of what they see them doing in action, and then what he realized is that's true in life too, to a certain degree. That a lot of times, who we think we are is what our intentions are. Oh, well, I'm really the kind of person that's like this, and I'm really the kind of person that's like this, but then we don't actually follow through on it. And so he's saying, okay, what a character does, that's who the character is. And he said, this is why, what he discovered is this is why there's little scenes in the movie that have nothing to do with the plot. They have nothing to do with the plot because, you know, why did they give food to the homeless person? Or why did he help that little, little cat? Or why was he nice? Because in the beginning part of the movie, you need to establish that this is the guy you want to be rooting for, or gal you want to be rooting for, so they do certain things that you think, oh, they're really a good person. I mean, they may have a lot of bad qualities, but you can see deep down they're a really good person. Or vice versa, you'll see somebody who looks like they're supposed to be, the, but then they're mean, they do something mean. It has nothing to do with the rest of the movie, but you're like, oh, we don't like that person. In the Gospels, what we see is Jesus' heart in what he does. Over and over and over again, what does he do? We'll get like this one verse that he healed all their, their sick, and he did, but then we get these like one-on-one stories. We get the leper who comes to him and says, if you're willing. I know I'm not supposed to be here. I know I'm not supposed to be this close. I know, but if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I'm willing. And he heals him. His compassion to action. When the man who's got a shriveled hand for years and people are watching him, is he going to heal on the Sabbath? Yeah. When the woman is bent over, she's been, as Jesus says, like a prisoner of the devil for 18 years. And they're thinking, is he going to do this on the Sabbath? We don't heal people on the Sabbath. That like work on the Sabbath. And he, his compassion is not just this sad compassion. It's, it's also wrapped together with like an anger. Indignant is a word that comes up a lot. Because he says, you guys are into your rules more than you care about this woman. No, not me. This is wrong. And he heals her. She straightens up. When a bunch of people have tried to help this father with his son who's out of control, seizures, all kinds of things because he's demon-possessed, he comes to Jesus, please have mercy on my son. Like, I've tried everything. And Jesus drives out the demon. The compassion into action. When he sees a widow who... Because she's a widow, she's lost her husband already, but now she's just lost her only son. It says his heart goes out to her, and he raises him from the dead. 
But it's not just like miracles and healings. It's not just that. One of the things that Jesus does out of compassion is he takes people who don't fit in, who are cast out, and he's just with them. He just spends time with them. So when a woman shows up who's got a bad reputation because she's done bad things, but she is trying to express her love for Jesus, there is snickering, there's even comments like, let's get her out of here. And out of compassion, the action Jesus takes is he defends her. And then he even honors her. And he turns the tables. When Zacchaeus, nobody wants to be around Zacchaeus, he can't, nobody's going to let Zacchaeus come to the front of the line even though he can't, can't see, so he's got to climb up a tree. Nobody wants to be around Zacchaeus and Jesus out of compassion says, I want to go to your house. I want to hang out with you. That's who he is. So one of the things I've been trying to sort through out of all this is, yeah, I believe all of that. I believe that's Jesus' heart. I believe that's what he's like. I believe it. I'd like to be like that. I'd like to have the kind of heart that's moved with compassion and that the compassion has some sort of power that goes with it. But I think first and foremost, I need to know that's how he feels about me. Do you know that's how he feels about you? I can remember as a boy doing things every once in a while, like my mom's gone, I'm cleaning the house. No, I'm going to clean the house. And what is motivating me to clean the house, what's really motivating me to clean the house is just she's going to see it, and I, in my mind I think she's going to be like, thank you. I'm going to just, the response I'm going to get is going to be so positive because I, I was a good boy and did those things, right? Compared to when the toilet like overflowed because I used too much toilet paper again. Again, we've talked about this. Again. I don't have the same like, I'm gonna come and get a, yeah, I love you. It's more like, uh-uh. You wanna bring that quote up from the book. Dane Ortland quotes, Thomas Goodwin, a Puritan, who says, Christ's own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and enlarged by, and then he leaves it. How would we fill in the blank? And I'm going to paraphrase because Puritans talk really weird. They use a little language that sounds formal to us. Jesus' joy, his comfort, his happiness, it grows when he has a chance to show us forgiveness and love and mercy and care. He loves that. I tend to hide from him unless I've been a good boy. And he says, my heart is gentle. Come to me. 
there's a story in the, that's told in multiple of the Gospels where a group of friends, they're of a of guy who's paralyzed, can't walk. They want to get him to Jesus because they think if they get him to Jesus, then Jesus will heal him. But there's too much of a crowd in the house that he's at, so they make their way around, get up in the roof, cut a hole in the roof, lower him down. And it says when Jesus saw their faith, he was, this is compassion moved to action, he said, your sins are forgiven. What? If I'm one of the friends, I'm like, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. Like, just, why don't you just heal him? He knew what was needed most. He knew what was needed most. That guy could have walked out of there. But if sins weren't forgiven, if he didn't know he was forgiven, if he didn't know it was free, that wouldn't have been enough. And we tend to think like, uh, if I can keep this kind of part like not in God's view so much or front and center, then we can be okay. But Jesus has compassion. He came to forgive us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Jesus died for us. For the joy put before Jesus, he endured the cross. If you want to know how Jesus feels about you, we need to keep remembering what he was willing to go through, not like, oh, I'm going to go through it. Those dumb people. For the joy set before him. He said, come. Yeah. Come. How many people have watched The Chosen? A few of you, some of you, maybe? So it's on an, it, it's an app. You can download the app, The Chosen. It's very... It's, it's very unique in how they portray Jesus. Our very own uh, Jenny Koenig starred in an episode season two. She was one of the crowd for the crowd of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. They needed a big crowd. She was, did a great job being part of the crowd. Anyway, in season two, episode one, the, the Chosen takes liberty in and just filling in blanks that we don't have the answers for. So Jesus talked to a woman at the well. We have details about that conversation. And then it talks about how she went into the village, and then Jesus came into the village and spent a couple days, and all kinds of people believed in him. That's all we got. He spent a few days in there. The, the Season 2, Episode 1 is a story of like, well, what might that have been like? What might have happened? And they... We don't know, but the things they portray show Jesus' heart. They come from what we see in the rest of the Bible. I would encourage you to check that out to see his heart. So here is my prayer. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. Here is my prayer. I am praying it every day, all fall. I am praying that I to know his heart. So for me, that's going to include, will I know that he has compassion on me? And I am praying that many of us get to know his heart, not just up here, not just in the story. And so I don't want to just 
teach, but on some of these Sundays, we want to give space for God to move, for God to take some of these thoughts and to bring them down here for us. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to have one last song, but before we do that one last song, we're going to pray. We're going to be quiet, we're going to make space, and we're going to see what God wants to do with that space. So God, one of the things, I think one of the reasons that it's hard for us to be in touch with your compassion is that we hear these stories in the Bible where you healed out of compassion. And then we feel like we don't see very much healing in our own life. So would you heal? Would you heal today? You know where we need healing most. But we pray for all kinds of healing, including physical healing. always responded in the Bible when people said, Lord, have mercy on me. You always responded. You always responded. Respond today. And the cries of the heart sprinkled around this room or watching or listening whenever they are, which you respond to our asking you for mercy. We're asking you for healing into specific situations in life, specific needs. Do you move today?
show us your heart. Jesus, we're asking you. We don't deserve it. But you want to. That's what we know about you. You want to, so we're asking you to. Show us your heart in feeling and in action. Today, we're asking for it today. And we're asking for it to continue in the days to come. Jesus' name.